John chapter 5, so if you want to open the Gospels on your table, it's John chapter 5, we're going to read verses 31 through to 40. So Jesus is speaking. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was burning, he was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, His form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Well, it's great um, to be with you this afternoon. I was here back in February. I can't really get along every week to Gospel in the City, but I do try to listen on to the podcast as often as I can, and so I kind of know what you guys are up to. And if you weren't here last week, um, Sam was speaking um, just from the few verses before our reading in John 5, and we saw that Jesus is essentially on trial in this chapter. The Jewish leaders, they're fed up with him, they've had enough, and they're looking for any excuse they can get to have him killed, to point out that what he's doing is wrong. The charges that they brought against him last week were simple. First, that he healed a man on a Sabbath, which was breaking the law. And secondly, that he claimed that he was equal with God. And in Jesus' reply last week, in those earlier verses in John 5, we saw just two really important principles to hold on to. The first is that, well, Jesus' claim itself, that we have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the claim that he's making. He's very clear about it. He's not trying to hide it. He's making it really clear who he says he is. And the second is that this claim, it has an implication for then how we're meant to live, that if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, well, that then results in good works in our life. And so Sam talked last week about the distinction between ordinary six-day work, which is really important, where we go about our normal jobs working really hard, And then seventh day work where we join in what God is doing and help bring people into God's eternal rest. And we do that by sharing our faith with our families, our friends and our co-workers. So Jesus is on trial and he doesn't um, shy away with his bold claims. But in this next section that we're looking at this week, we see that to support his claim, Jesus brings in three different witnesses. Look at verse 31 first of all. What does Jesus say about making these claims about himself. He says, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. 
And just as last week's passage showed that all Jesus does, he does in obedience to the Father. This week he says even his witness, his testimony, what he claims is not just him off his own back. It's not given by him alone. Well, we don't want to get tri- tripped up by that word true, okay? Um, it doesn't mean that Jesus' testimony would be false if he didn't have these witnesses. But it's kind of his way of saying, if you only have my words making these claims, I could understand why you'd be suspicious. I can understand why you wouldn't really buy into this. But it's okay. Here are three witnesses. Here's three people, three things that support the claims that I'm making. This isn't abnormal for all the different things we have in life. We look for external witnesses. We look for things to back them up. So I've got a cold. That's why I don't sound great today. If it gets any worse, I'll have to go to the doctor. Say, I have man flu. What are you going to do about it? You don't go to the doctor and trust him to help you based on his word. Based on him saying, do you know what? I know how to fix you. Just trust me. But you go to a doctor and you trust a doctor because of his external qualifications that he's done all of his exams and something from outside him and says, yes, you can trust that doctor. You can trust them to do the job that they claim that they are going to do. Or if you're applying for a job or maybe you're hiring someone in the application form, what do you have to fill in? A number of referees. Because it's dead easy to write the best CV in the world, but unless there's somebody else who can vouch for you and back that up, nobody's really going to believe it. So that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, I've made this claim, but if it's just me saying it, well, you're not going to buy into it. So here's three witnesses that will help you believe that my claims are true. So what are the three witnesses in this passage? Look, first of all, at verses 32 to 35, and the first witness is John the baptizer. Listen to those verses in 33 to 34. You sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. So he's saying, look, you Jewish leaders, you remember John. And what was his whole purpose in coming? His whole purpose on earth was to bear witness to the light that was yet to come, was to point people to me. Listen to what John wrote about John the Baptist earlier in chapter 1 of his gospel. He says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So John the Baptist, his whole purpose wasn't to come and be light, but to point to the light, to point to Jesus so that people would believe his claims. Listen to a little bit more from John chapter 1, picking up at verse 19. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. They had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. 
These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Jesus is saying, if I bear witness about myself, I can understand why you wouldn't believe me. But here's my first witness, John the Baptist, do you remember him? Let's not forget that this man's entire purpose was to point people to me, to bear witness to the fact that I am the Son of God in order that they may believe. It's the first witness. And the second witness we see in verses 36 to 38, it's the testimony of the Father. Look at what Jesus says in verse 36. He says, but the testimony I have is greater than that of John. And he's already said that his testimony is not from man. So he's saying, here's the first witness, but that's just one person. Here's something even better, something you can trust even more. He continues, the testimony I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And so the works that God the Father has given Jesus to finish, the things he's given him to do on earth, which he's in the process of completing, they testify that the Father has sent him, that he's not here off his own back. This points us to what Jesus was saying last week, that all that he's doing, the incredible, miraculous works, the healing, the teaching, all that Jesus is doing, it's all the work of the Father who sent him. Listen again to what he said earlier in verses 19 to 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he is himself doing. And greater works than these he will show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. So all that Jesus is doing is nothing more and nothing less than what the Father is giving him to do. How did this trial come about? You might remember if you were here two weeks ago, it's because Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. And the Jewish leaders, they saw this and they thought, this is ridiculous, he's breaking God's law. And here Jesus is saying, it's not just my words that you can believe, it's not just my words that back up my claim about who I am, but it's my actions as well. As I carry out the will of my Father on earth in a miraculous way, doing things that only God could do, it's vindicating the claims that I am making. How can you trust that my claims are true? Look at the things that I'm doing. He keeps going in verse 37, and the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. There's a bit of debate about exactly what this verse is referring to. Some think that it's a reference to Jesus' baptism, where God the Father declares Jesus to be his beloved son, with whom he's well pleased. And that seems like a fair enough thing, but given that John doesn't include an account of his baptism in the gospel, it's unlikely that that's what he was thinking of here. Instead, I think Jesus is saying that in all the ways that God has revealed himself to his people, both in the scriptures and in Jesus' incarnation and in his works in the world, the Father is using these things to bear witness about the Son. The scriptures, Jesus' own life, God's work of redemption throughout history, they all point to what Jesus was coming to do. So Jesus, he's building his case here. He's 
defending himself with his witnesses. He's saying, I'm the Son of God. I have John the Baptist. I have the testimony of God the Father. Then his third witness is the Scriptures in verses 39 and 40. And he makes a really bold claim here in verse 39. He's speaking about the Scriptures and he says, It is they that bear witness about me. I am in my final year of my theological education. Hopefully that's me done forever after that. And I spend a lot of time having to study the scriptures and it's a real blessing and I love that. But there's lots of people in the academic world who've devoted their entire life to studying the scriptures and they don't see Jesus in it. And it makes no difference to how they live their lives and that's a real tragedy. Look at the warning that Jesus gives to the Jewish leaders here in these verses. He says, you study the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And Jesus is making another really bold claim here. He's saying to the Jewish religious leaders that you think you know the scriptures inside out. You think you've studied them backwards and forwards, but if you've missed the fact that they point to me, then you've missed the point entirely. So Jesus is on trial and he brings three witnesses to support his claim to being the Son of God. He's saying, if you're not happy just taking my word for it, look at John the baptizer, look at all that he pointed to and all that he did. Look at the testimony of God the Father and all that he has revealed in the world and the scriptures. It's to point to me. And study the scriptures themselves because when you read them, you can see that what I've come to do was promised. They all support the claims I'm making. And I hope that this sounds like good news to you. Maybe it doesn't. I hope that in the middle of a busy work week, the fact that the claims of Jesus, the things that we believe about Jesus, have so many witnesses attesting to them, I hope that gives you encouragement. And of course, for us, when we go beyond this passage in John 5, we know that we have even more. We think of the different people who we know personally who acted like John the Baptist for us, who pointed us to Jesus, who were able to witness about how he changed their lives and pointed us to the same. We think of how much more we know than they did in John chapter 5 of all that Jesus accomplished. We think of the cross and the resurrection and we think particularly of the strong historical case that there is for the resurrection as a witness that the claims that Jesus says are true. And we think of how we have the whole Bible, not just the Old Testament, pointing us forward, but the New Testament giving us a record of all that Jesus did for us. So what we see here when we look at John 5, that Jesus is on trial, but the witnesses that he produces are all the witnesses that we could ever need to believe that his claims are true, that he is who he said he is. He is the Son of God, and we can trust him completely. But I wonder, did you notice that Jesus was really quite clever in what he was doing here? He presents his three witnesses. He makes his defense. But really, even though in this chapter we're saying that Jesus is on trial, in his defense, he's turning the tables. He's turning them back around on the religious leaders and he's putting them on trial at the same time. He's saying, here's all the evidence That you could need. And here's how you're rejecting it. So look at what he says about John in verse 35. He says, 
He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. He's saying to them, look, I remember you were all keen on John for a while. He was the next big thing, but then you moved on to the next fad. And you missed the point of what he was really saying. John got lots of people excited that the Messiah was coming. But even though he pointed clearly to Jesus, they didn't listen to what he had to say. The phrase for a while suggests that, well, they quickly got bored of John's message and moved on to something else. Then look at what he says about the testimony of the Father in verses 37 to 38. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. These are strong words that Jesus is using. They claimed to be a people who cared about God, but they were ignoring the very one whom he sent. They weren't hearing God at all. And then, of course, what he says about their study of the Scriptures in verses 39 and 40. You study the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So Jesus is making a defense of his claim, but he's also putting Jewish leaders on trial themselves. They thought they were cross-examining Jesus. But as he's presented his three witnesses, he's put them under the spotlight. And I think that as we read this passage, this is a really important challenge for us as well. Jesus' claim is really very clear. We're to believe that he is the Son of God. He has clear witnesses. But as he turns those tables around, the question becomes not just, can we trust Jesus, but are we trusting Jesus? As we look at the evidence before us, are we convinced by it? And do we live our lives as if we believe it to be true? As we go back to a busy afternoon of whatever it is you have to get onto, however many emails are waiting for you, whatever meetings you have to go into, we can go back with confidence today because we know that the claims of Jesus are true, that he gives us all this evidence that we can hold on to. But let's also go back to our afternoons asking, is there a danger that I could be like the religious leaders where I can miss all of the clear evidence and I don't trust in Jesus the way I should? Do I believe the claims that he's making and am I trusting him myself? Let's pray together and ask God to help us with that. Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this time in the middle of our busy weeks when we can come and we can look at your word together. Father, we thank you for Jesus and we thank you for the incredible claims that he makes and we thank you for the evidence that he has to back that up. Father, would you help us to trust the claims that Jesus makes, to trust in him completely and to turn to him with all of our lives so that whatever we're facing, whatever busyness we are in the midst of, we know that the Son of God has revealed himself to us and we can live our lives following him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you don't have to...